Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Lemkuler, Extension Professor at the University of Kentucky. I'll be sharing general information related to beef cattle production, updates on current events impacting the industry, new research, and other topics that I hope you find useful. I'll be joined by various guests to bring different views and insights on these topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast, and be sure to give us feedback and let us know how we're doing. Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. We're coming to you live today again from uh, Maine. I'm up here uh, with my friend and colleague, Dr. Colt Knight. Colt, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Fantastic. Colt, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what, uh, where you did your degrees, and a little bit about what your experiences are. I grew up as a third-generation coal miner in West Virginia. Uh, my granddaddy and daddy and even myself worked in the mines and went back to, before I decided to go back to school, uh, I did a animal science degree at the University of Kentucky. And then I went on to finish my master's degree in Texas. I got a PhD in animal science and ruminant nutrition from the University of Arizona. I did a brief postdoc at New Mexico State University. And then I fell asleep on the bus and ended up in Maine <laughs> in about 2017. Uh, I guess I, I'm the I'm an associate extension professor and state livestock specialist for the University of Maine Cooperative Extension, and I also run the Maine Grazing Behavior Lab. Fantastic! So, what what exactly is the grazing the Maine Grazing Behavior Lab? Uh, we manufacture and test new GPS tracking collars for livestock. Uh, we we focus on the low cost side of things so we can make it more affordable for researchers. I also help researchers with learning how to use GPS in research, uh, experimental designs, data analysis, that kind of thing. So I get to travel quite a bit uh, working with researchers all over the world with GPS collars. We've got GPS collars deployed as far as Mongolia and Kazakhstan right now. Wow, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> so um, when, when you decided to to come to Maine as a livestock specialist in your position then, what species do you work with predominantly up here in Maine? So that's a funny story, right? So uh, I guess the position's kind of a catch-all, all livestock. Uh, I came up here and my my boss said, oh, Colt, you can just focus on, on the species you want and then you can just answer questions as they come in for the other stuff. And so as a beef guy, I was going to be a hardcore beef specialist and just work with beef cattle and maybe answer some other questions on the side and the needs of the state kind of outweighed my want to be the beef specialist and so the first thing that hit me were pasture raised broilers so I ended up doing a pasture chicken project and then that one went really well and got a lot of notoriety and and attention uh, from the pasture broiler folks and so we repeated that with some pigs, we started having some some issues with people pasture raising pigs, and then then all of a sudden I became the pig guy, and then brought some pigs home from the teaching farm to bottle raise, and now now you know I have a fourteen acre heritage pig farm <laughs> here that I take care of, and uh, throughout it all, uh, I've worked with a lot of small ruminant folks and and beef folks at the moment. It varies from year to year, but I would say I'm equal parts beef, small ruminant, swine, and poultry. Starting to do a lot more with meat science and working with meat processors 
in the state. So, and then you do also on that side, you do some meat cutting schools as well up here too, right? Yeah, we. There's been a real demand for for more local processing and and no training for local processors. So we we worked with University of Kentucky uh, to develop a, a meat processing school here in Maine, and that has been running every year since 2017. Uh, this year, our meat cutting school, we made the announcement and we filled up all 20 spots in less than 15 minutes. No kidding. And half of the participants were from out of state as far as Minnesota. Wow, that's excellent. And so we would really like to build more capacity and offer more meat cutting school stuff, but it's really difficult to get the space on campus the instructors, the animals, and the meat processors, all those have to line up just perfect for this thing to happen. And about the only time we can do it is right after the semester ends on campus, when campus isn't busy, uh, no one's teaching classes anymore, and the meat processors are not busy in the spring. So, so they're willing to work with us and help us get carcasses and tour their facilities and, and whatnot. But it's been a real challenge, but it's been real fun. Along that line, did you feel like, you know, you started in 17. Do you feel like COVID influenced any of that um, and, and seen a spike in interest in those programs? COVID changed everything. Uh, you know, I was doing 50-some-odd educational programs a year, just traveling the state to all diff- all 16 counties in Maine and doing – you know, I would do a, like I would do like a swine 101 training, and I'd offer it in every single county in Maine. I do, you know, keeping sheep in wintertime or or poultry or this or that, and I just do them in every single county. And that that took up most of my time just traveling, doing farm visits. COVID hit, and of course we couldn't do that anymore, and and everyone wanted remote learning, and so we started doing you know, webinars, like everyone, we, we did a lot of Zoom trainings and stuff. And those were, you know, we'd get 10 times the amount of people come to those at first until the Zoom burnout hit. And then no one wanted to, to do Zoom. They just wanted a recording. They wanted, they wanted to sign up for the Zoom, but they didn't actually watch the Zoom. They just wanted you to send them a recording of the Zoom. And I, I was like, well, if we're going to do that, I'm just going to make asynchronous videos. And so, for a couple of years, I didn't do any in-person programming, and I just did asynchronous video work. And those went over really well. People, and we were reaching a new audience, I, th- I feel like. We, we were reaching the homesteaders and the new farmers that we never reached doing the in-person stuff through the traditional extension model. And now I'm trying to bring back in-person stuff, uh, but folks aren't coming out. You know, I used to be able to get folks to come out with food, and they don't. That doesn't seem to be a motivational factor anymore. So, if anyone has suggestions, please let me know. Well, I don't. I don't think you're unique in that. I'm, I know we've seen certainly lower attendance at some of our programs than we've had in the past. But if you hit that uh, certain program, you know, like a fencing school or a grazing school, um, you mentioned the meat processing schools. You know, those fill up pretty quick. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that that I've been trying to do the last six months is no more death by PowerPoint. It's more hands-on or just talking to people out in the field. And, you know, as an educator, you feel like you have to present that. Because when we went to school, and Jeff can tell you this, like, 
they wanted us to like rewrite our notes three times because they thought if you read something while you heard it, that you retained the information. And I, I found that, that folks nowadays, that they just tune out and they're not retaining any. They just don't listen if we're, if we're killing them with the PowerPoints and stuff. So I've been exploring alternative ways to deliver the same information without, without using a slideshow. Now, I think that we've seen, too, with it being a little bit more informal, that you get a little more engagement because they can feel like they can ask a question at any time. Yeah. So then you get a good side discussion going on something, and there's learning that happens with that side discussion. You know, and, and producers know a lot of information, too. It, you know, we can learn just as much from them as they can from us. So I, I think it's a to have that discussion is way more valuable than, than me standing up there presenting you a, a slideshow. And, and I think you're right on that. And I, I just did that last week, actually, at a meeting. I had prepared a PowerPoint slide set, and I got there, and we started talking a little bit, and I just asked them if it was all right if we went that, <laughs> and we just talked about some things. So that works really well. It gives us the flexibility to be able to, to address the issues that are there right then. Yeah, I, I was at a, the National Extension Agent Conference last week in Iowa, and I was uh, hosting a super seminar there, all for extension agents on on how do we document impacts of educational videos. And I was sitting there making this big, long PowerPoint with all these numbers and formulas and analytics and stuff. And then I thought to myself, no one wants to read this stuff. So I deleted my PowerPoint that I just made, and I put four pictures up, uh, pictures of me making videos. And then I just, instead of me giving a formal lecture to this group, and this was a three-hour seminar, I just talked to them. I was like, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. And they would ask me a question. So instead of me talking for 30 minutes and then answering five questions at the end, that's normally how scientific conferences work, uh, they felt free to interject, ask me questions all the way through it. So my 30-minute talk ended up being an hour and a half. Uh, but everyone was able to, to put their input in, and I th think we learned a lot more via that route than we did traditional methods, and people were engaged and enjoyed it. I've never been to a conference before where the whole room was engaged in the speaker like that. And, and even after I got done speaking, my friend Ashley Wright from the University of Arizona spoke, and it was, you know... I saw 40 cell phones go up to take a picture of her and one of her slides through that format. So I've never seen that before. I've seen, you know, a handful of people do that, but the entire room in unison was engaged. And so I, I'm going to try to extend that philosophy to my producers when delivering educational programs in the future. I think that's a good move. And a friend of mine at, at Tennessee actually told me that he started doing that as well and, and found success in that. I think you're right. You know, we, we're, you and I were trained maybe differently at that time, but we're, we're dealing with similar crowds, uh, but we're also getting newer people there that are coming in. And if we don't address their question right then, they're just going to go to their phone and they're going to get that. So if we can be more flexible to be able to answer questions right there on the spot, I think that, that makes us uh, continue to, to have value them and they'll continue to come back to us for more information. Yep. 
I hope you enjoyed my chat with Dr. Colt Knight. I apologize for the lower quality audio as we recorded the session outdoors. Be sure to listen to the last session with Dr. Knight as we discuss some of the direct marketing of agricultural products in Maine. I think you'll find his view on direct marketing interesting as he has gotten to know some of the local processors as well as his own experiences with direct marketing some of his own animals. Be sure to like that uh, program and then hit that subscribe button to get new episodes as they come out. Let us know how we're doing. Provide us a little bit of feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Thank you. Thank you.